Alright, welcome back. Hey everybody, how's it going? <laughs> Happy to have you here. Hanging with Mr. Douglas. And boy oh boy, have things uh, come to fruition. Um, you know, the reason the sporadic nature of the podcast has been released here and there uh, is because I actually have achieved uh, quite a bit of voiceover work since my throwing it out there to the universe. You know, I'm, I want to be cautious about saying that it's going to be full-time forever because, you know, this is all freelance work. But boy, is it fun. And so far, so good. I'm, I am uh, able to earn some cashish with it. Uh, so thank you all for listening. And thank you, universe, for handing me the work that I'm so enjoying. Also, uh, on a really interesting note, and I had completely forgot about it because of the, you know, gap of time between recording and, and editing and then pr uh, producing and putting it out there. The last episode that I just did, uh, we uh, talk about how one of the things we would like to imagine is taking that uh, credit card and paying for dinner out with friends. And while I will admit I didn't pay for everybody, we all split checks. It was right before, and I'm here in uh, uh, Virginia, right? It was the weekend before. They threw down the gauntlet for um, really heavy restrictions uh, due to COVID out here. So we were out, out and about and able to eat out. And it was fun. It was a really nice uh, uh, tapas joint, uh, though it was like a, a Balkan-style tapas, which meant a lot of lamb. Oh, very, very good. And uh, really nice steak frites and the uh, steak and frites, frites with steak, fries, good fries. And the steak, oh boy, it was, um, it had these really neat, almost like peppery, sweet peppercorn, red peppercorn uh, spheres on top of it. There we go. It was, it was a great dining out experience with friends. And it, while, like I said, I didn't pay for everybody, we all split the check. Uh, but the whole arms on the table, laughing, having some drink left in your uh, glass and enjoying the moment of being able to eat out and pay for it without necessarily stressing super hard or at all uh, was really, really great. So that happened. That was pretty cool. As I was editing, I was like, oh man, I actually just went through that. That's pretty, huh, look at that. So yeah, update, it works. And uh, let us continue on with how Neville Goddard would like to guide and inform us as to how to tap in to what we've got already with inside of us all. Last we left off was with his three steps, and I figured I might as well go through them again. Just cause, you know, review. So here we go. Carrying on with Neville Goddard's Out of This World. So he says, The first step in changing the future is desire. That is, define your objective. Know definitely what you want. I wanted a dinner, and I got it. Secondly, construct an event which you believe you would encounter following the fulfillment of your desire, an event which implies fulfillment of your desire, something that will have the action of self-predominant. And that was laughing at the end of a delicious meal with wine, swirling in my glass, chatting it up with old friends, 
Good times. Thirdly, immobilize the physical body and induce a condition akin to sleep. Lie on a bed or relax in a chair and imagine that you are sleepy. Then, with eyelids closed and your attention focused on the action you intend to experience, in imagination, mentally, feel yourself right into the proposed action, imagining all the while that you are actually performing the action here and now. You must always participate in the imaginary action, not merely stand back and look on, but you must feel that you are actually performing the action so that the imaginary sensation is real to you. It is important always to remember that the proposed action must be one which follows the fulfillment of your desire. So it's not wanting what it is that you're wanting because that will simply produce more wanting of what you want. It's after you've gotten what you want. What, is the, what does it feel like? What does it look like? What's your experience? So, it's important to always remember that the proposed action must be one which follows the fulfillment of your desire. And also, you must feel yourself into the action until it has all the vividness and distinctness of reality. For example, here comes Neville's example. Suppose you desired promotion in office. Suppose you desired promotion in office. Being congratulated would be an event you would encounter following the fulfillment of your desire. Having selected this action as the one you will experience in imagination, immobilize the physical body and induce a state akin to sleep, a drowsy state, a dreamy sleepy state, but one in which you are still able to control the direction of your thoughts, a state in which you are attentive without effort. Uh, you know, a light trance state. Okay. Now, imagine that a friend is standing before you. Put your imaginary hand into his. First, feel it to be solid and real, then carry on an imaginary conversation with him in harmony with the action. Do not visualize yourself at a distance in point of space and at a distance in point of time being congratulated on your good fortune. Don't be in third person, be in first person. Instead, make elsewhere here and the future now. The future event is a reality now in a dimensionally larger world. And, oddly enough, now in a dimensionally larger world is equivalent to here in the ordinary three-dimensional space of everyday life. And this dude, you know, this is uh, the holographic model where, you know, everything is happening all at once in an instant. The moment contains the all. Very much also the Kabbalion. Check that book out on my YouTube channel, Mr. Douglas. But this is really uh, him saying that the future is in the now is absolutely of the uh, holographic model, among other things. But uh, yeah, this is some really cool stuff. The difference between feeling yourself in action here and now and visualizing yourself in action as though you were on a motion picture screen is the difference between success and failure. The difference will be appreciated if you will now visualize yourself climbing a ladder. Then, with eyelids closed, imagine that a ladder is right in front of you and feel you are actually climbing it. Desire, physical immobility bordering on sleep, and imaginary action in which self feelingly predominates here and now are not only important factors in altering the future, but they are essential conditions in consciously projecting the spiritual self.
If, when the physical body is immobilized, we'll become possessed of the idea to do something and imagine that we are doing it here and now and keep the imaginary action feelingly going right up until sleep ensues, we are likely to awaken out of the physical body to find ourselves in a dimensionally larger world with a dimensionally larger focus and actually doing what we desired and imagined we were doing in the flesh. But whether we awaken there or not, we are actually performing the action in the fourth dimensional world, and we will reenact it in the future, here, in the third dimensional world. Experience has taught me to restrict the imaginary action, to condense the idea, which is to be the object of our meditation into a single act, and to reenact it over and over again until it has the feeling of reality. Otherwise, the attention will wander off along an associational track and hosts of associated images will be presented to our attention. In a few seconds, they will lead us hundreds of miles away from our objective in point of space and years away in our point of time. If we decide to climb a particular flight of stairs because that is the likely event to follow the realization of our desire, then we must restrict the action to climbing that particular flight of stairs. Should our attention wander off, we must bring it back to its task of climbing that flight of stairs and keep on going so until the imaginary action has all the solidity and distinctness of reality. The idea must be maintained in the field of presentation without any sensible effort on our part. We must, with the minimum of effort, permeate the mind with the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Drowsiness facilitates change because it favors attention without effort, but it must not be pushed to the stage of sleep in which we shall no longer be able to control the movements of our attention, but rather a moderate degree of drowsiness in which we are still able to direct our thoughts. Straight up why people talk about the benefits of hypnosis. Uh, real quick, and I'm sure I've mentioned him here before, I think I wrote a blog post on him, but Andrew Huberman, a neuroscientist, dude, goes on lots of podcasts, talks about how the optimal state of learning is this place of relaxed attention, which is what hypnosis can rapidly facilitate, which is simply a, a change in state into basically a light state of trance, where you are physically relaxed, but you are mentally still very acutely attentive and due to the fact that your body is relaxed, uh, you are able then to attend to your thoughts in a much more sharp, precise, and effective manner. Uh, really, uh, you know, after uh, getting my uh, certificate of uh, being able to practice hypnosis, uh, yeah, after learning a lot of that stuff, it's clear that the ability to uh, drop down away from your current kind of awareness state into a state of heightened awareness and massive relaxation allows for perspectives that you never really would have even been able to consider considering because your awareness of the potential of them even being there maybe would not even be there to begin with. That in and of itself is a life-changing experience, simply being able to see new paths through the forest, instead of believing that there are no paths to be seen at all. 
Okay, where were we? Right. A most effective way to embody a desire is to assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled. And then, in a relaxed and sleepy state, repeat over and over again like a lullaby any short phrase which implies fulfillment of our desire, such as, thank you, as though we addressed a higher power for having done it for us. Not going to lie, a little bit of chills right there. You know, I've been wanting to do this kind of podcasting and this kind of subject talking for a little while, and I'm just super thankful that I'm able to do it. Doing this has certainly brought about a lot more synchronicity and uh, mystically magical experiences that I am absolutely thankful for. Super cool. And thank you for joining. Life is a journey that is wild. I'm so happy to have friends in the wild like you. So, if, however, we seek a conscious projection into a dimensionally larger world, then we must keep the action going right up until sleep ensues. Experience in imagination, with all the distinctness of reality. What would be experienced in the flesh were you to achieve your goal, and you shall, in time, meet it in the flesh, as you met it in your imagination. All right, Neville, I see what you're saying. Feed the mind with premises, that is, assertions presumed to be true, because assumptions, though unreal to the senses, if persisted in until they have the feeling of reality, will harden into facts. To an assumption, all means which promote its realization are good. It influences the behavior of all by inspiring in all the movements, the actions, and the words which tend towards its fulfillment. This is straight up uh, power of your subconscious mind too, planting these seeds. To understand how man molds his future in harmony with his assumption, we must know what we mean by a dimensionally larger world. For it is to a dimensionally larger world that we go to alter our future. The observation of an event before it occurs implies that the event is predetermined from the point of view of man in the three-dimensional world. Therefore, to change the conditions here in the three dimensions of space, we must first change them in the four dimensions of space. Change your thoughts, change your reality. And the more thoughts you think consciously, the more you tell your unconscious mind the thoughts that you'd like to think, to the point where the unconscious mind starts thinking them automatically. And then it changes your reality. Man does not know exactly what is meant by a dimensionally larger world and will no doubt deny the existence of a dimensionally larger self. He is quite familiar with the three dimensions of length, width, and height, and he feels that if there were a fourth dimension, it should be just as obvious to him as the dimensions of length, width, and height. A dimension is not a line. It is any way in which a thing can be measured that is entirely different from all other ways. Oh, that's a fun, neat definition of dimension. That is, to measure a solid fourth dimensionality, we simply measure it in any direction except that of its length, width, and height. Could you measure something by temperature? By sensation of joy? By the richness of color by the depth of experiential vibration of sound, like you're at a concert or something? Is there another way of measuring an object other than those of its length, width, and height? Time measures my life without employing the three dimensions of length, width, and height. There is no such thing as an instantaneous object. Its appearance and disappearance are measurable. 
It endures for a definite length of time. We can measure its lifespan without using the dimensions of length, width, and height. Time is definitely a fourth way of measuring an object. The more dimensions an object has, the more substantial and real it becomes. A straight line which lies entirely in one dimension acquires shape, mass, and substance by the addition of dimensions. What new quality would time, the fourth dimension, give, which would make it just as vastly superior to solids as solids are to surfaces and surfaces are to lines? Time is a medium for changes in experience because all changes take time. The new quality is changeability. Observe that if we bisect a solid, its cross-section will be a surface. By bisecting a surface, we obtain a line. And by bisecting a line, we get a point. This means that a point is but a cross-section of a line, which is in turn but a cross-section of a surface, which is in turn but a cross-section of a solid, which is in turn, if carried to its logical conclusion, but a cross-section of a four-dimensional object. We cannot avoid the inference that all three-dimensional objects are but cross-sections of four-dimensional bodies, which means, when I meet you, I meet a cross-section of the four-dimensional you, the four-dimension self that is not seen. To see the four-dimensional self, I must see every cross-section or moment of your life from birth to death and see them all as coexisting. My focus should take in the entire array of sensory impressions which you have experienced on Earth, plus those you might encounter. I should see them not in the order in which they were experienced by you, but as a present whole, because change is the characteristic of the fourth dimension. I should see them in a state of flux, as a living, animated whole, as a vibration, perhaps. If we have all this clearly fixed in our minds, what does it mean to us in this three-dimensional world? It means that if we can move along time's length, we can see the future and alter it as we so desire. This world, which we think so solidly real, is a shadow out of which and beyond which we may at any time pass. It is an abstraction from a more fundamental and dimensionally larger world, a more fundamental world abstracted from a still more fundamental and dimensionally larger world, and so on to infinity. Holographic Universe The Absolute is unattainable by any means or analysis, no matter how many dimensions we add to the world. Oh, and if you guys haven't seen it, Definitely recommend the uh, miniseries on FX. Just watched it recently. I know I'm late to the party. Devs, hey, addresses the many worlds theory, which ties right into the holographic model of the universe. And ooh, it's a goodie. That's a brain candy to the max. And it, like this right now, is uh, chewing on my brain. I chewed on that show for quite some time. Still chewing on it, really. Mmm, tasty. Right, so definitely check out Devs. It, in a really beautiful, visual, uh, theatrical way, introduces some of these ideas. And uh, really, uh, I, I, you know, uh, really one of my best friends uh, had me see the show, and 
I'm one of those people who, when I'm into a show, I might, I might ask, why do they do that? I'll ask questions. How come is this? Is this what's going to happen? Some of you may not like that. I can completely understand why. <laughs> but it was so engaging and so much fun that it prompted so many questions. He was a dutiful friend and was like, what? I don't, who are you? I don't know what show this is. What are we watching? Okay. But uh, uh, truly wonderful show. It's only eight episodes. They're about an hour long each. Definitely recommend checking it out if you want to um, drip in some of these higher-minded ideas about dimensionality, many worlds, a holographic universe. <laughs> but it, uh, it's under the premise of uh, quantum computing, which, hey, right there. Okay, so. Man can prove the existence of a dimensionally larger world simply by focusing his attention on an invisible state and imagining that he sees and feels it. If he remains concentrated in this state, his present environment will pass away, and he will awaken in a dimensionally larger world where the object of his contemplation will be seen as a concrete objective reality. Also right there, back to Joe Dispenza. No time, no space. Only thought. Fully engaged in and made real, beyond real, of the senses. Intuitively, I feel that were he to abstract his thoughts from this dimensionally larger world and retreat still further within his mind, he would again bring about an externalization of time. He would discover that every time he retreats into his inner mind and brings about an externalization of time, space becomes dimensionally larger, and he would therefore conclude that both time and space are serial, and that the drama of life is but the climbing of a multitudinous dimensional time block. Scientists will one day explain why there is a serial universe, but in practice, how we use this serial universe to change the future is more important. To change the future, we need only concern ourselves with two worlds in the infinite series. Ha <laughs> ha, see, infinite world series, devs! The world we know by reason of our bodily organs and the world we perceive independently of our bodily organs. Okay, I'll tell you what, we're going to pause it there because we just hit chapter two. Oh man, too much fun. Really getting into it right now. And thank you all for in, you know joining me, enjoying this. Playing with what life has innately gifted us. What we are absolutely tapped into already and connected in. This, these kinds of pathways through the forest. I believe, and have experience here, hey, that dinner, among other things, really, uh, the voice work that I'm doing right now is great. It, it's, it, it does act absolutely inform waking reality. And so I'm just so happy to be here talking about it and happy to have you be here with me. Tell me about what's going on with you. I want to know, you know, drop me a line, send me a message. Let me know what's what and how you are thinking fourth dimensionally and seeing it trickle down and manifest at the cross-section of your waking reality. Very exciting time. We'll leave it there. Lots of fun. Neville Goddard thinking out of this world. I will catch you on the next one. And thanks for hanging. <laughs>